talking about love, displaying love, showing love. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about this passage in the Bible that talks about this term that's used in some Bibles called the, the fruit of the Spirit. Now I want you to just to kind of keep that in your mind like you, there's any way you could erase it. Um, keep that in your mind just for a moment because I want to just show you the overview of what all the fruit of the Spirit are or is, depending on how you want to do the grammar. And then I want to come back to that whole thing of love uh, that we saw so movingly portrayed for us there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Fruit of the Spirit are general qualities in the life of a person who's a follower of Christ, a believer in Jesus. And I want to I show you the context in the Bible. It's in the book of Galatians. And then I want to just jump off, and you'll see exactly where we're going with this as we, as we do that. But uh, it's in Galatians, book of the New Testament, uh, chapter 5. And let's, you're going to see it here on the screen. We're going to begin in verse 19. Now, I'm going to tell you this. The fruit, quote-unquote, of the Spirit... Don't really begin until verse 22, but we're going to begin in verse 19 just to get the context so you can see where the writer here, who is the Apostle Paul, was going. Watch what happens here. Galatians 5, 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your lives will produce these evil results, sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, participation in demonic activities, whoa, hostility, quarreling, jealousy. Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, divisions, the feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your own little group. (laughs) Envy, drunkenness, wild parties. See, what's the deal with wild parties? You need to understand first century wild parties. Uh, If you get kind of start boiling it down, we're talking basically uh, drunken orgies. And that's not an overstatement at all um, when you understand the first century. Um, and other kinds of sin. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Key phrase, living, present, active tense. Doesn't say that anybody who has ever done any one of those things won't inherit the kingdom of God, because nobody would. Doesn't say that if you've done it more than once, you won't inherit the kingdom of God, because all of us have one form or another. He's talking about present active tense. Has, continues, and continues on. Because when God takes over someone's heart and life, when the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life, when they trust Christ, He changes their desires. That's why He's making this contrast. Because now look what happens in verse 22. Because now He gives us this this huge contrast here. Look in verse 22. But... When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. Here it is. Some Bibles say He will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Here we are, nine things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no conflict here with the law, meaning the law of Moses, meaning that uh, somehow there would be something that would... uh, contradict what the law of Moses stated and he's saying that it's not there. Now, a couple of clarifications we need to talk about. First of all, this is not a comprehensive list of character traits. In other words, there aren't, you know, I get these nine things down, I got it, baby, I'm good to go. Love, joy, peace, you know, I get all this down and, 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 and because, for instance, 
when you look back up in verses 19 through 21 there, he's giving that whole list of sins. He doesn't involve, he doesn't include a whole lot of sins there. He doesn't include, uh, for instance, he doesn't include lying. He doesn't include gluttony. He doesn't include murder. He doesn't include materialism. He's just giving some, some highlights or lowlights, as it were, in the, in the first part, of to what some of those sins are that just characterize the person who's far from God. Now, the same way when he goes through these nine different qualities, he doesn't talk about faith, he doesn't talk about hope. So he's not giving us necessarily a complete list. What he is doing, he's giving us an understanding of some, some things that are representative of a person's life who has committed their life to Christ and who's allowed the Holy Spirit to control them. All the time? Of course not. Um, these qualities, these nine qualities, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these are qualities that are actions, okay? They're not emotions, although emotions sometimes can crowd them out. We've all experienced that. Uh, these qualities cannot be worked for. They cannot be acquired. They cannot be achieved by strength of will or by determination. We need to understand that. These are and this is where the film was so great to help. These are byproducts of something else going on inside the heart and the mind of an individual. Something else being God the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's an, I got one more clarification. Um, it's an oversimplification, an oversimplified interpretation to say, well, if you get one, you get all. Some people will do some funny things with the grammar there, and they'll say, the fruit of the Spirit, that's singular, as opposed to plural. And you really can't do that with the Greek. I'm not sure you can do that with the English in this case. But you can't do, I know you can't do that with the Greek, with Koine Greek. Um, there are basically nine characteristics there. And, and let's be honest, some of those things are going to be more in line with my temperament, and some of those things are going to be very difficult for me. And it's gonna, we're going to disagree on some of those things. You know? I was talking to somebody earlier about it, and they we were just talking about them, and they knew the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. He said, how about patience? How do you have more patience? I said, well, you got to pray, and then you got to move. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> speaking from the Northeast, I didn't mean that, obviously. I was being, over, I was, I was being tongue-in-cheek on that. Um, all believers, all of us, all, all people have areas in which they grow more rapidly than others. So I might talk, well, I am, I'm talking about love this morning, and that may be something that maybe you're, you know, I got that one down, and maybe something I don't have that, but I may talk about one later on. Yeah, you know what, I'm doing pretty good with that one. So, but here's the point. When God, the Holy Spirit's really, we're in touch, we're in connection, we're in relationship with Him in our lives. These things in one form or another, at different levels, depending on our temperament and our personality, are going to be displayed in our lives. And sometimes they're not. We can know why not. We can know who's kind of in control of my life. It's me and my, you know, left to myself, left to ourselves, all of us, not just me. We're all just a bunch of selfish, self-centered, self-dominated, look-out-for-me type people. It is only when God the Holy Spirit comes into our lives that we're able to have some understanding, some degree of, of selflessness. And, uh, and we need to understand that. So, I want to go back. I want to read the same passage, just the fruit of the Spirit, beginning in verse 22, in the uh, new paraphrase that I use a lot called the message. Hear me talk about that a lot. And just to kind of give you a better understanding, he uses different words here for these nine qualities. So watch what happens here. 
But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, that's love. Exuberance about life, that's joy. Serenity, that's peace. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. The legalism that he's referring to there is how sometimes we think we have to have a list of rules or even a list of qualities that we have to try to achieve. He's saying that's not going to work. It has to be God at work in you. That's the only way it can work. So love, let's go back to that first one, love. Genuine, selfless, unconditional love is a supernatural work of God in the heart and in the mind of His people. Saw such a great illustration of that in that film. Something happened there from being this, you know, granted, it was nine minutes, granted, it's a film, keep that in mind, but, but all of a sudden this arrogance and this cockiness and this selfishness and all that other stuff, boom, turned into something much different. It's a micro, just really a microcosm of what can happen in our lives. Usually it will take more than nine minutes. But nonetheless, it can happen. And that's, that's when God, the Holy Spirit, is working in our heart, in our lives. Um, it's an inside job. It's an inside job because left to ourselves, we're all just selfish, self-dominated people, you know, or worse. All right. One of the things that happens whenever you get into these kinds of, especially in church, and even churches like ours where we have a, just really a priority on the Bible and Scripture and so forth, is that so many times people think that, that I've got to learn more, I've got to learn more, I've got to learn more. And, and, and God bless you, that's a great attitude, that's a great quality. But I just want to say this. Maybe you can think of someone who knows the Bible better than you. I can think of some people who know the Bible better than me. But then the question comes down to, not so much do they know the Bible better, but do they love deeper? Because you see, that's really the bottom line here. Do they love deeper? Nothing wrong with knowledge. We need to study. We need to try to understand the Bible. We need to, to read what, what the Bible has to say about things. But we don't just do that as an academic exercise. It needs to affect our lives as well. Um, I want to just go through a few what love is not. And then just, I found a, I found a five-point definition from somebody else I'll tell you about in a moment um, that really gives us what it is and tells us what it is that I'm going to use. And um, um, I think it's really good. But listen, what, what love is not? Because we have so many views of love. You know, and, 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 and in fairness to us, English language just, you know, we got one word for love, basically. And that word can be something from I love my car to I love my kids to I love God. And those are all three very different things, you know. And love my wife. Let's put that in there too. Okay. Um, you know, those are all very different things. Well, in the, obviously in the original language that the Bible was written in, some people believe, I'm one of them, that, that God waited until just the right time to bring about the New Testament with the right language, Koine Greek, which is different than modern Greek, because it's so precise. And we have four different words for love. 
in, in, in the original, in, in, in the Koine Greek. So this, is, this of course, is the agape love, the lo- love that can only come from God. Um, but we still have different views of what it is. So let's just kind of talk. Because, you know, sometimes we think love is this or this. Let's just hit a few of those real quick. Love is not ushigushi, okay? My words, okay? Might be a new phrase for some of you, right? Especially if you're from Scotland or something. Ushigushi. Um, love is not ushigushi necessarily. I know people who are, don't you? And you're like, oh, no, they just kind of slobber all over you every time they see you. And that's really great. I like that. I don't do that, but I like that. You know, I mean, within some degree. I don't much care for the slobber, but you know what I mean. I like that demonstrative type of love. And, and you know, some of, us, some of us, you know, who aren't like that really appreciate that in others. And that's them. That's who they are. And that's terrific. But that doesn't mean that everybody has to be that way that loves. It's not necessarily ushigushi. Um, love is not necessarily all approving. Some people think, well, you know, that's 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 my son over there, and I've seen this. You see this sometimes, particularly reflected in in movies and, and art and theater and so forth. But even in real life, I've seen it a couple times, tragically, where someone's uh, child has done something wrong and they're about ready to go to prison or something like that. And oh, that's my, yeah, I still love him. He's my son. It's okay. You know, you still need to love him, but it's not okay what he did. You know, and, and that sometimes gets all mixed up in that whole thing of love. You know, it doesn't mean you turn your back on them, certainly, but it's not all approving. You don't have to approve of what somebody does just because you love them. Um, love, I think you probably know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Love is not enabling. It doesn't enable people. In fact, it does the exact opposite of that if somebody really loves. Um, there's this term. I'm going to give you the fourth thing. Love does not does love does the difficult thing, and sometimes the difficult thing. Some people use this term. I'm, I don't like the term, and I'll explain why in a minute. Um, they use the term tough love. You've heard that term. You know, got to have tough love. I don't like the term. Um, I'm not sure exactly where it came from. I looked it up and tried to do some research on the internet, and it's real vague as to where it came from. Um, I've used the term. I've heard the the term tough love used. Uh, so many times when people were verbally or, or emotionally or even sometimes physically abusive, they're like, oh, you got to love them. you got to be tough. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's not, that's not love. But love does do the, you know, and that's fine. If you want to use that term, that's fine. But that's just, that's just me. But what you do need to understand is there is such a thing that love does the difficult thing. And whether that be with our kids or whether that be with someone who we love who's gone into a direction that, that's very damaging and harmful, and we, if we love them, we don't just sit by. We help, even if that means, you know, you can't, you can't be doing this to yourself or to this other person. So, so love, when we talk about love, there's a lot of things. It's not, it's not ushi-gushi. It's not all approving. It's not enabling. It does the difficult thing when the difficult thing needs to be done. It, makes the, it has the difficult conversation that might need to be done sometimes. Sometimes people say, well, I don't want to do that. didn't say it was fun. I didn't say anybody necessarily wants to do that, but that's still part of love because love is wanting what's best for the other person. It's wanting what's best for the other person. And it's a byproduct of what the Spirit of God does and continues to do in the heart and in the life and in the mind of a follower of Christ. What is love? Let's, let's get to the positive stuff here. found this, I, I had a whole bunch of other things, and I found this thing uh, from uh, Father James Keller, a Catholic uh, priest in the uh, 40s and 50s started a group called the Christophers. Maybe you've heard of that or not. Fairly popular back in the 50s and 60s, I think. And uh, and he just seemed to just um, 
terrific individual, I believe, and, and wrote some things, some pretty amazing things about love. And I just took five of his points very quickly of what love is that, I, that kind of reflected what I believe and what I think the Bible teaches. Um, so here they are. What is love? Love delights in giving attention rather than attracting it. Love, love delights in giving attention rather than attracting it. Let's just take that maybe to your mate for a minute. You know, are you one that just, you just want to give them attention because you love them? Imagine a home, and we're not talking about marriage, but I'm going to use that as an illustration just for because this isn't just marriage, this is in, in every aspect of life. But we'll just use marriage now, just as sort of an example. Imagine a home where you have two people who, who are just trying to give each other attention. Wow, that's kind of cool, you know? That's what the Bible's talking about there. Uh, number two, love, and by the way, all these notes are going to be on the website tomorrow. Just, just take a look at it tomorrow morning, sometime after nine. Um, love finds the element of good and builds on it. Love finds an element of good and builds on it. It doesn't just tear down. If you're one of those persons who enjoys tearing down, whether it be your mate or your friend or your associates or your golf buddy or whomever it happens to be, um, that's not a good characteristic. That's not a loving characteristic. Love finds the element of good and then just keeps maximizing that and building that. Third one kind of goes along with the second one, but I like it a lot. It sort of reiterates it a little bit. It needs to be reiterated. Love does not magnify defects. Have that ever happened to you? Love does not magnify defects. Defects. Faults. Problems. We all have them, don't we? person that loves the other person doesn't mean that they don't recognize it. They don't realize, you know, that they somehow are blind to it because you can't be blind to it. Doesn't mean you don't address it at the right time because love does the difficult thing. But love doesn't magnify that as opposed to the opposite of that, which is sometimes blowing things out of proportion, you know, maximizing certain things that really weren't the case at all when you finally get down to it and start talking about it and you realize that that really wasn't the issue at all. You know, that, that's, that's one of those things that we, we can sometimes, again, back to marriage. I don't want this to be about marriage, but I'll use that because it's one of the areas we all can relate to, those of us who are married. You know, it's, it's sort of like the proverbial classic illustration you always hear when you first get married about the, uh, the old uh, cap on the toothpaste type of thing and how somebody blows because, just blows up because the other one, you know, forgot to put the cap on the toothpaste or squeezes the toothpaste from the front or the back or the bottom or, 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 or wasted or whatever it happens to be. Doesn't mean you don't have those discussions or whatever, but love doesn't magnify those kinds of defects. Same is true with, in relationships with people, with friends. And you have friends, and you know they have defects, and you know they have problems. At an appropriate time, those are talked about, but you don't magnify them, right? Third, fourth thing. So, love delights in giving attention rather than attracting it. Love finds the element of good, builds on. Love does not magnify defects. Uh, Number four, love, this is really important. Love knows how to disagree without becoming disagreeable. That's a huge issue, isn't it? It, you you got to disagree sometimes. Because if two people agree on everything, only one of them is thinking, you know, and one of them is unnecessary. Um, not literally, but you, you, you understand my point on that. But love has the ability to disagree without becoming disagreeable. And that's all in our approach. 
Sometimes it's our tone of voice. Sometimes it's the words that we use. But when we love somebody, we care enough about them that something may need to be said, something may need to be disagreed with, but again, it's how we do that. And that's a huge issue. That's one of those life skills that we probably continue to grow in every day of the, that we're alive to do a little better. And, uh, you know, depending on the person and the personality, it's a little different for each one. And that's what we need to understand, particularly those people, have some, some degree of understanding of those people who we love, who we have, quote-unquote, a relationship with. Know how to disagree without becoming disagreeable. You don't have to be obnoxious, and you don't have to call names. I'm just talking to myself here. You don't have to do, you know, those kinds of things to make your point. Sometimes, no, I won't say that. Um, I start to say sometimes it helps you make your point. It doesn't really. You may think it does, but it doesn't really. And it devalues people. And, and, even, and even, if you, even if you're right 100%, and they're 100% wrong, you don't want to devalue people. Why? Well, because God doesn't want you to do that. Jesus would never do that. He values every person. And they, I mean, he met some real idiots. Um, he met some real... I mean, some of the people he would run into, I mean, some of these guys, some of these, uh, some of these tax gatherers, I mean, a tax gatherer basically in the first century was just is another, another term for just shyster crook because they basically could, could charge whatever taxes they wanted. They knew what they had to give to the government and they would charge on top of that so they'd get paid. And however much more they get collected is how much more they, they got. These guys were dirt balls, you know. Yeah, Jesus never devalued them. That's one of those great lessons to me how Jesus handled buttheads of life. I'm sorry. How he handled people and, and, and some of them were, Okay. Slipped in there. Anyway, you understand. The name calling doesn't need to be there, even though I just did it. Um, all right. Love delights in giving attention. Love finds the element of good. Love does not magnify de- defects. Love knows how to disagree without becoming disagreeable. Last thing. Love rejoices at the success of others instead of being envious. Love rejoices at the success of others instead of being envious. You know, it, you know if, if something happens to someone and you are going, yay, and it's a bad thing, you might need to stop, step back and rethink that. I was, I was watching the news the last two nights. I don't watch it too much, but I, I did because they were down on the, um, really waiting for the sports to come on. But anyway, uh, it's one of those things. And, 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 and this whole thing, I, I have no opinion about this. I, I, really, don't, I really don't care. I, I know very little about her other than that she's a celebrity. But this, this, every, about every five minutes, Paris Hilton's going to jail. Yay! And I'm like, look, I don't know her. I've never met her. I'm, I'm sure somewhere deep down she's a fine person. I really am not joyful that she's going to jail. Now, I'm sorry that she's done whatever she's done to go to jail, but it's almost like this, this celebration of, hey, 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 you know. It's almost like, why, why, why not... It's too bad. You know, it's so different when it's someone that, that, that's not a celebrity that supposedly people don't like. And I don't know why they don't or if they don't or whatever the situation is. But it's a good example sometimes of what happens in our particular culture of how we kind of, how we get on people that for whatever reasons, perception, reality, or whatever it happens to be. Well, whoever that is, whether you know them or not, there should be some degree of care and love. And the response should be, gee, that's too bad. She did whatever she did to, to go do this thing. 
You know, and, and if you love people, that should be our response, not, oh boy, ha ha. So, love rejoices at the success of others, even those, and this is the tough one, I realize this, even those you don't like, and even those who think, you think, they should have something else coming, and they get that promotion. They get that deal put together that somebody else didn't do. And you're like, ah, you know, it's not love. And it's not a way you want to live. You say, yeah, but Rich, you don't know that person and you don't know what they deserve. That's not the issue. Because under a, set, under a different set of circumstances, that could be you or me who may not deserve that either. The good thing. And may deserve something worse. We don't get into the discussion of who deserves what because none of us really deserve much, do we? It's all a blessing from God. So, uh, that's, that's love. There it is. Um, that was a, a, a Father James Keller. Love delights in giving attention. Rather, it, it love defines the element of good. Does not magnify defects. Knows how to disagree without becoming disagreeable. Rejoices in the success of others. Listen, love is a byproduct. Fourth time I've said this, I think. Love is a byproduct of the Spirit of God growing an individual inwardly. Love is a byproduct of that. I want to read these last verses to you from the Bible again. It's the, it's the chapter that we call the love chapter. And we read, it in, we read it in weddings all the time. I've done it in a lot of weddings. And it's a great passage to do. And one guy told me one time, he said he came up to me and he was kind of a bitter, unloving kind of guy. And he says, you know, you read that First Corinthians passage and, and it's, you read it in a wedding and it's not supposed to be. It's for everybody. Now, he's some little, you know, theologue that thought he was something about the Bible. And I said, you don't like that, huh? And he said, no, I don't like that. I said, oh, so a husband and wife aren't supposed to love each other like 1 Corinthians 13. Is that your deal? And, uh, and I probably said some other things. But anyway, um, it's, for, it's for everybody. But it's also for husbands and wives. So you make the application. You make the application to your mate. You make the application to your family. You make the application to the, some of the people you work with. And especially if you have some of those hard-to-love people that you work with. Maybe the hard-to-love neighbor, person in your club, whatever it might be. You make that application as we read this, and then the band's going to come, um, and we're going to do, they're going to do a song. It's just going to, I hope, just going to put this all together for us. Okay? Watch this. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. It keeps no record when it has been wronged. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. That's God's standard. Let's pray. God, we pray. Not just that we would love more, but that we would be yielded to the Spirit of God as He builds into our heart grows us into becoming the people of love that we should be. We thank you that Jesus came and gave us the ability to not only see this love as he loved us, but also gives us the ability in our relationship with God through Jesus to have that kind of love as you work in our hearts and in our lives. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.